Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> what a journey we're having in this profound book, letter. It seems like the whole exposure of the gospel is in one single letter. It's a very special crafting writings of Apostle Paul. And it's not by chance because he spent at least two years in this church. And also it's not by chance that this letter has such an amazing content. Because after Jerusalem, the first headquarters of Christianity, we see the move of the Spirit going to Antioch where actually Paul and Barnabas became apostles. But eventually, the move of God resonated over Ephesus, the city where Apostle Paul took care so dearly of the brothers with such a letter, but also with his beloved disciple Timothy. So we can actually read in the sequence, and maybe I do that this semester, the letters of Paul to Timothy. Because I feel it's sequence of Ephesians. The point is, we have learned so much from this letter. And we could not close it in a different way. Let's ask Holy Spirit to bring light, revelation. That the eyes of our hearts will be open to see the mysteries of the riches we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, fill this room. Take the lead. I pray this with all my heart, God. I can't teach your people without your grace, without your move. You're raising up a church of overcomers that is moved more than, more than with excitement and positive words, but it's a church that is conscious of the battle and they stand firm till the end I pray Holy Spirit that the words we're gonna meditate today can resonate in our spirit and really becomes part of who we are as a church I pray in Jesus name the whole church says once again amen and amen look how amazing to start a message like that Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, tell a brother close to you, finally. <laughs> finally, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That the words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly. As I ought to speak. We're going to read until the end. Because I want to have the feeling that we actually close the whole book. Are you guys with me? Let's go there. Verse 21. So that you also may know who I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. Let's read verse 23 and 24 together. On three. Are you guys ready? As a choir. One, two, three. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Hallelujah. There we go. We finished Ephesians. We actually read the whole book of Ephesians. Give yourself a hand. Yes. Now, you probably noticed... We're going to talk about this last part. In this journey in Ephesians, we learn from chapter 1 and chapter 3, the wealth of the believer. The three W's of Ephesians, number one is the wealth, the riches of Christ, hidden in Christ Jesus. Oh, amazing chapters we cover. Then we learn how to put that wealth into practice. We call the walk of the believer, chapter 4 and chapter 5, and now we are in chapter 6, and it's clear that Paul is speaking about the warfare of the believer. Now, let me be very straightforward here. If you knew Jesus, if you made God your friend with the bundle, you got an enemy. It, this should not be a surprise for us. If you are really a child of God, if you are born again Christian, that means you got an enemy. Because Jesus is our reference, this is a model for us. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3 that right in the baptism of Jesus, the heavens were open. And the voice of God came, verse 17, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Jesus' identity as the Son of God was revealed. And the Bible shows the sequence. 
the sequence of your new identity is that immediately you are led into a battlefield, a war. We know right in the opening of Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus were. He was at the desert and he was tempted by the devil. That's always how it works. So, should not be a surprise for us that when we accept Jesus and really take seriously our walk with God, that we're going to have some trials, some pushes back, some attempt to discouragement. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when He comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So you're going to see this symbolism of war, soldiers, military, all over the New Testament. Because it's supposed to happen. And that's maybe because Apostle Paul, most of his writings, just like he closed the letter here, was written inside a prison. And the only view he had, any seaside he was enjoying from ancient Roman, Rome, was actually soldiers and military battalions marching around. So that imagery was in his eyes and mind all the time, probably giving him that creative comparison over and over throughout his writings. For example, like I said, 2 Timothy, the sequence of Ephesians, 2 Timothy chapter 2, share in suffering, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Probably because he saw the soldiers making some push-ups outside the prison. And they were suffering their training. And he keeps saying, no soldier, verse 4, gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Because probably he saw the dedication, the commitment to not use the word devotion. That the soldiers were given to the cause of expanding Rome and maintain the Pax Romana. So he saw that the soldiers were not playing around. So Paul was trying to tell us Christianity is not a playground, it's a battleground. When you join your life with Christ, you join the military, you join the battle. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I like the word enlisted because our name is written in the book of life. But who could think that the book of life is also an enlisting list, right? A place where our names are also as recruits. So the Christian life is a warfare, a battleground. The fact that the devil really hates you is important to understand. Because if you are not having any sort 
of his spiritual warfare around you, like my southern people like to say, that ain't a good sign, my friend. It is not a good sign. It's inevitable. You have an enemy that hates you for many reasons. The basic of all, you carry what he wished the most. There are two passages in the Old Testament that most scholars refer to explain the reason for such hatred of Satan against us. One is in Isaiah chapter 14. is a prophecy against the king of Tyre. But it's also a parallel to the heart, to the spirit of Satan. Let's go over there. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14. I don't know if they are projecting. Oh, there we go. Praise Jesus. Look the comparison. How you are falling from heaven. You know who, fall, who fell from heaven, do you? Oh, day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. Verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, a symbol for angels. I'll set my throne on high. I'll sit on the mountain of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Verse 14 again. I will make myself in the likeness of the Most High. Now, because I use the word likeness, you probably connected somewhere else in the Bible, do you? In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we learn who God made after his likeness. Come on, somebody. So it's not by chance that the devil hates you a lot. You carry the very thing he wished to do by himself. And he's still on the project to do it. And he does that in many ways. He tries with religion. But one of the most violent and horrible way is actually destroying that image. The devil hates humanity and wants, with all means, try to destruct, destroy that image. With destructive addictions, physical and mental disorders, violence. Brutality. So he hates us because of this basic aspect. You are simply beautiful. You carry the glory of God. And the devil hates that. He can't endure to see you shining his glory, the glory of God. Like he can't. But there are other reasons why. Because now, you're also enlisted. So we must expect some counterattack. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of England, once said, I would rather be an enemy of the devil and a friend of God than an enemy of God and a friend of the devil. And I like this quote because with God on our side, we always win. But my friend, don't make yourself an enemy of God. The Lord fights for us. 
So let's dive into the word, verse 12, Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Oh, how darkness is so present in our days. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, it's very clear, our battle is not against anyone. We don't have flesh and blood enemies whatsoever. We don't make enemies with our boss, with our workmates, with our colleagues. You don't make enemies from the government. We don't make any enemy that has flesh and blood. And if that's your case, you need to release forgiveness. You just need to learn the way of Jesus. However, in the spiritual realm, we have enemies. And a lot of them, they are even in ranks of authority. Very clear, distinguished here in this text. In Revelation chapter 12, we learn that one-third of angelical beings fell alongside Satan. This is a lot of demons. There is no precise number for it. But based on various scripture passages, we're talking of a myriad of millions. To the point that they needed to organize in layers of authority. In ranks of authority. However, we should never, ever forget that we still have two-thirds on our side. Come on, somebody. They might have one-third, but we have two-thirds. And they fight for us. And it's important to have this perspective when you are in the middle of the battle. It's important to have this perspective on the evil day. We all face the evil day where the battery doesn't work on the car, where you simply forgot your wallet somewhere else, when you could not simply communicate to your wife one single information and your kids are havoc that evening, the evil day. We all have them. On the day, we need to remember, I have two-thirds of heaven on my disposal. Come on, somebody. We should have the same experience of Gehazi, the servant of Elijah. The king of Syria was puzzled how that this tiny, puny nation, Israel, can he still resist our mighty army? The Syrian king thought. We may have a secret agent, a spy within us. Somebody is telling to the king of Israel our plans before we even try to attack them. Who between you, my generals, are doing that? And one of the generals said, my king, the problem is not us. The problem is that Israel has this Elijah, and he is a prophet, and God tells him what you whisper in the night to your wife. 
who can fight against him. So a Syrian king had a great idea. Let's kill this man. He is the secret spy. Let's surround his little tent and smash him. So this battalion came after Elijah. And when the doorbell were listened, Gehazi came out, the servant of Elijah, and he became blind. Blind with fear. How many in this house today are also blind with fear? I can't, Pastor. They are greater than I can resist. This challenge is greater than I can handle. How many leaders were thinking to lead this semester? And because of the size of the challenge, you became blind with fear again. But let's remember the rest of the story. Elijah said, don't worry, my disciple. I'm going to pray that the eyes of your heart be open. Let's go to the story. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. He, Elijah, said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Come on somebody, put your hands over your eyes. Just say this to the Lord. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Come on, everybody say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see in Jesus' name. Because you are not surrounded by the enemy. You are surrounded by the Lord. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I said Elijah, but it was Elisha. Sorry. They are very similar names. Elisha, the second. Elisha. But here's the best news. Not just good news. The best news. In Christ, like you are, we need none of the angel's power. We have Christ within us. Yes, the angels are serving, guarding us, quenching the, the flaming darts already. But even without the angels, we will withstand. Matthew 28, because all authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And Jesus is within you. Jesus is with you. Jesus goes before you. Come on, somebody. So it's not also by chance that Paul opened the letter asking the same prayer of Elisha. Ephesians 1. That our eyes would be open, enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which He has called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the work of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all the ranks, 
we just read in Ephesians chapter 6. So Christ is far above all authority, power, and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So brother and sister, when we pray in the name of Jesus, there is power in this name. It's not just a brand. It's just not a trend. It is power that breaks the strongholds, that delivers your mind, that makes you free from inside out, that makes you bold again. And gets you out of this depressing, downcast state. Just say his name and you're going to experience such power. It really works. Have you ever experienced the name of Jesus' power in your life? Come on, somebody. I have so many times. And nothing to pray. Nothing to say. Nothing to utter. But the name. And that sight brought life again. All right, let's dive in. The text has an agenda. Let's take a look in verse 11. Part B. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13. Part B as well. Second part of the verse. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Verse 14 now. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. So you notice that this standing firm is the goal here. It's to hold our position unshakable. We use our weapons. However, it's clear that the most practical place where we can apply those weapons is through prayer. It's in a position of surrendering in prayer. Take a look in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And when I speak the word prayer... What is the image? What is the emoji? What is the meme comes to your mind? Either it's the little two hands, yes or no? Or somebody doing what? Kneeling down. Yes or no? It's because if you want to withstand, and the word in Greek is he stay me, which some scholars compare to te me, is a compared word. It's not withstanding, upstanding, erect. But actually sometimes the way to withstand in the battle is laying down with your weapon on the ground. Come on, somebody. And from this position of laying down, I'm sorry, I have to be slow and put myself on the position again. This is the eighth day I'm praying for you, my brother. Because I know that through prayer... Breakthroughs are going to happen. Strongholds will be broken in this church, guys. And miracles are going to be unleashed over us this semester. But anyways, so on the ground, if you are on your knees or laying down in prayer, 
How can you fall when you are already on the ground? How can you fall when you are already in the best position to withstand firm? Are you guys with me? So, there's a way to fight this battle. He's laying down our cares and worries to Jesus with prayer. Bending our knees in prayer. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's talk about the truth. And the image is awesome. Because as you probably have in the back of your mind, the Roman clothing was a toga, kind of a robe for men. But for battle, you need to get that big dress and do something about it because you don't want to step it on it when you are running or hiding. So you will actually get that big extra fabric and entangle around your loins, your legs, make a nod, and fast it on with a belt. That's actually where we borrow the expression, girded up your loins, man, because you are ready for battle. I don't know if I could paint it right, the picture, but hopefully, yes. The point is, what ties all together is the truth. We are for the truth, and nothing can against the truth, but the truth. We insisted about this principle so many times in Ephesians. To really don't ever embrace the language of lying, deception, slandering. So, the truth is the core of our faith. Have you ever worked out and now in the internet you find many parts of your body workouts, arms, legs. And recently I learned there's the core training. Have you ever heard about core workout? Core workout. Oh my Jesus. What that even means? It means that the very center of balance of your body is being strengthened. It's, it's where you find the, your movements with ease. Fasten on the belt of truth. Which makes me inevitably say, you should every single day, even if you are a morning person or an evening person, I don't care, and neither God. But you must, for your own survival in the battle, feed yourself from the truth. You must spend time in the truth. And the result of doing that, fasting on your life, your finances, your mental, your emotion life, all together in the truth, is that you become a truthful man, a reliable woman. You become honest. You have integrity as part of who you are. You become impenetrable with the lies of the devil, which, by the way, is exactly one of his weapons. 
We all know John 8, 44. The devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But I like to read this part. He does not stand in the truth. Either because he doesn't speak truth, but also because when you are from the truth, the devil cannot stand against you. The devil cannot resist a man and a woman of God of the truth that holds the truth. Studying to share to you guys, I read this very nice illustration. It was said that the Great Wall of China was built tall enough that no one could climb it. Large enough that no one could penetrate it. And long enough that no one would dare to try surround it. But history says that in the first 100 years after the Great Wall was built, the wall was breached at least three times. How did the enemies do that? They bribed the gatekeeper. Where there is no truth, you become vulnerable. But when we stand for the truth, when we fasted on everything with the belt of truth, nothing can touch you. Still in verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. In the Bible, in most of the ancient writings, the place of thoughts is not your brain, but is your cardiac organ, your heart. And the place for feelings, emotions, were your guts, your intestines. Which anytime you go to Bush Gardens, you will agree with that. So, uh, it's just definitely symbolic. But I believe that's why Paul dedicated the breastplate of righteousness to protect our thought life and our emotion life. When we think about the finished work on the cross, when we meditate on the redemption plan, and how much we are loved by the Heavenly Father. That made us in Christ Jesus the very righteousness of God. My friend, your minds cannot backslid in somewhere else. And your emotions are safeguarded. From all the condemnations of the devil. Because let's be honest. While the devil has many names. Like the tempter. Like Satan, one that is the most used in the New Testament is the accuser. And he wants to make you believe you are not accepted, you are not loved, you are not welcomed. But in Christ Jesus, we have access. We have 
righteousness. In Christ Jesus, my emotions, my thoughts, my mind is safeguarded. Let's go to verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the shoes here were actually sandals. You probably saw that picture as well. But different than the ordinary Roman sandals, the soldier's sandals were point, had pointing soles, kind of soccer cleats. And for the obvious reason to have grip on the floor in the battlefield. But also to push back, to move forward. And when we have the promises in Matthew chapter 16 of Jesus telling to Peter and all to the disciples that he is the cornerstone of the church. And when the church is gripped, founded, established in Christ Jesus, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Not that we are holding our doors closed, but we are pushing forward and we are taking the spoil of the enemy. The lost souls, the prodigal children, the orphans, the widows, the brokenhearted. So, the gospel will never produce a lazy, layback, retired mindset in the believers. No matter if you are 79, 78, 78 years old, you are still in the battle. Come on, somebody. You still present yourself and put your gifts available to push the gates of hell backwards. I'm not planning retirement. I'm with the sandals of the readiness that the gospel produce. Ephesians 6:16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is not the Saving faith that Paul's using here. But this is the continuous trust in the power of God. That shield has, the Roman shield had two versions of it. One that probably watched in Gladiator the movie. Come on, anyone here? This is the circle one. It's an individual cir uh, circle uh, shield just for fast and uh, fierce battle, 101. But there is a better shield. A shield that we're supposed to lock with one another in the battleground with other soldiers. That one will cover you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. So there is a battle that is meant to be alone. But most of our victories, listen to what I'm saying, will happen when we gather together. And we pray together. So September is coming up. We're going to pray and fast together. 
I'm with my small little shield in these eight days of fasting and praying for you guys. But I can't hold this battle without you. So on September, I want to see you here praying with me every single day for three weeks. And you will see victory coming. Let me close with Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm saying I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Ephesians 6.17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One defends, the other attacks. And I think that speaks of apologetics. Let me say, let me explain what I mean. We are not dumb believers. People that stupidly picked a religion because we could not explain life. Our faith makes sense. And we want to equip you with the reason of your faith. That's why we have a spiritual maturity course for you this semester. And those that need a new helmet needs to come to the new version of his spiritual maturity course. Because you're going to learn about your salvation and all that is at your disposal for your defense. But there are some here that felt already the calling to not only defend, but also to attack. You need more than spiritual maturity course. You need leadership training course to attack with the sword. To speak with boldness. Just like Paul said. You need to know the reason of your hope. Let's go to 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet... Do it with gentleness and respect. So, what is the reason of the helmet of your salvation? Do you have a reason why you believe in Christ? Do you understand what happened to you? But not only that, we answer with the very sword. A sword that is sharper than any other blade. While a surgical scalpel can cut the cardiac organ, there is a sword that is sharper to penetrate the soul and the spirit. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts 
and intentions of the heart. They're expowering the Word of God. They're expowering to spending time in the Word of God, guys. That's why we're so blessed through the book of Ephesians. You receive so much, and sometimes from the simple fact of reading. This week, I took a personal retreat for three days. Just myself, God, and my Bible. Literally, my Bible. No smart devices. They're spouting reading the Bible. I'm closing today in seven, seven days reading the New Testament. I didn't spend much time meditating. I simply read the Bible. A friend of mine said that even in the genealogies, <laughs> she said, when I'm reading land distribution, it seems that my mind gets together. Something happens. There's a mystical spiritual power within the sword, the Word of God. Let me close with this. Let's always stand on our feet. Such a perfect way to end a season, July, and start together a new season. Ephesians 6.19. Ephesians 6.19. And also, pray for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim. Everybody says to proclaim. Everybody says to proclaim. To proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador. Everybody say, I am an ambassador. Say again, I am an ambassador. Hallelujah. Paul was an ambassador in chains. We are not yet. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. For us that understood the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, it remains the calling, the calling to proclaim, to speak this gospel. To say the truth. The power of love is with us. You have the faith. You experience such peace and grace. That the world envy what you have. Empty things seek for fullness. And you have it all. We must proclaim. We must proclaim this message everybody we proclaim in our life groups we proclaim in our classrooms we proclaim in our coffee break we proclaim because there is no greater message